Hello, and welcome to the CircuitPython Weekly for August 31st, 2020. This is the time of the week that we get together to talk about all things CircuitPython. I'm Katni, and I'm sponsored by Adafruit to work on CircuitPython. CircuitPython is a version of Python designed to run on tiny computers called microcontrollers. CircuitPython development is sponsored by Adafruit, so please support them by purchasing hardware from adafruit.com. This meeting is hosted on the Adafruit Discord server. You can join at any time by going to adafru.it slash discord. We hold the meeting in the CircuitPython text channel and the CircuitPython voice channel. This meeting typically happens on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, except when it coincides with the U.S. holiday. If the meeting is changed, we'll notify you via Discord. Uh, there's also a calendar available that we try to keep updated, um, so you can subscribe to that as well. This meeting is recorded. We record the audio from the voice channel and video of the text channel. If you'd rather not have your voice recorded, you're still welcome to participate. You would um, put your notes in the notes document, um, or you can type into the text channel. Either way, I will read them off. Uh, note that the next meeting will be on CircuitPython Day, which is Wednesday, September 9th, not September 7th, following the regular schedule or the 8th, like our usual holiday policy. Um, we decided that since it was going to be bumped anyway, we would um, hold it on CircuitPython Day, so it will be on Wednesday next week. Um, the video of the meeting will, re will be posted to YouTube. The audio is released as a podcast. If you find that this podcast is not available on your favorite podcast service, please let us know. There is a notes doc to accompany the meeting and the recording. Um, like, like I said, if you wish to participate but you don't have a mic or you don't want your voice recorded, you can add your updates to the notes document and we'll read them off when we get to you. Um, and if you wish to participate but you can't make it to the meeting, you can also leave hug reports and status updates in the notes and let us know that you're missing the meeting and I will read them off uh, as I get to them. The notes document also contains timestamps uh, to go along with the video, so you can use the document to skip around the, and uh, view the video parts that uh, are most interesting to you. Um, if you're just listening in, please let us know you're lurking and we will skip over you. If possible, add your name to the notes doc um, with lurking after it. Uh, it's important that your lurking status is in the notes because so, that's kind of what we use to go through um, everybody on the list in the meeting. Uh, if you wish to speak in the meeting, you need to be added to the Circuit Pythonista's role on Discord. Please ask anyone in the meeting who is an admin or moderator uh, to add you to the role if you're not already a member. If you don't want to be added to the role, you can still participate text only. Um, simply let us know. <clears throat> And uh, the CircuitPythonistas is who we notify with changes in the meeting. Um, so that role also has the added benefit of you knowing if there's any changes to the meeting. The meeting is held in five parts. Uh, the first part is community news. This is a look at all things CircuitPython and Python on hardware in the community. It's a preview of our Python for Microcontrollers newsletter. Um, the second part is State of CircuitPython, Libraries, and Blinka. This is a statistical overview of the entire project, and it's a chance to look at the project by the numbers um, instead of uh, sort of separate from what we're doing, but just to get a general understanding of the health of the project. Um, the third part is Hug Reports. Hug Reports is an opportunity to highlight good things folks are doing 
take the time to recognize the awesome folks in our community. This section is held as a round robin where we'll start with the person who's hosting, so I will start, and then I'll go through the list alphabetically, looping back to the top, and give everyone who wants to a chance to participate. If you're lurking, I'll skip over you. If you are text only or missing the meeting, I will read your notes when I get to you in the list. Um, the fourth part is status updates, which is an opportunity to sync up on what we've been up to over the last week since the last meeting and what we will be up to over the next, well, this time week and a half until the next meeting. Um, it's also an opportunity for folks to provide tips and tricks in response to other people's updates. Uh, it is also held as a round robin, um, same as hug reports. And the fifth part is in the weeds. In the weeds is an opportunity for more long-form open discussions. These discussions can come out of status updates or be something you've identified ahead of time is too long for status updates. If you have an in the weeds topic now, please add it to the notes doc along with your name in the in the weeds section at the end of the document. If you think of them during the meeting, please add them as soon as you come up with them. Uh, basically what we're trying to avoid is waiting around to see if anybody has any in the weeds topics um, once we reach the end. Uh, and if you're text only, please make a note of it so I can read it off. And that is how the meeting goes. So first let's uh, take a time code. Um, and then uh, we'll start with community news. So CircuitPython Day is in one week. Um, September 9th, uh, 2020 is CircuitPython Day. Adafruit has chosen September 9th, 2020 as the snakiest day of this year for CircuitPython Day. Much more to come on events and happenings to include a CircuitPython team livestream, collaboration with hardware and software folks, and highlighting all things Python and Python on hardware. Um, as part of that, we have DIA CircuitPython. Um, CircuitPython fans in Central America are planning additional activities. Um, this is a quote. It is uh, Costa Rican artist Isabel Utag has been commissioned to create a mascot for us for this event, taking into account our roots and culture as Central Americans. You may already know Blinka, the snake mascot Adafruit has chosen for CircuitPython. With his talent, he has created us one who we are sure will be loved by all. I present to you Quetzal Blinka. Um, and you can see their website, which is in Spanish for their planned activities. Um, one for sure I know of is we're doing a special edition Spanish-speaking show and tell, which uh, should be interesting. <laughs> um, so that's one of the events, and I know they have events planned all day um, that they'll be doing as well. Um, so this year, uh, we've dedicated CircuitPython Day to Lambo Labs Makerspace, who are helping with the Beirut disaster. Um, they were not affected, well, they were affected, but in, in the grand scheme of things, not very much um, as a group, and so they've been putting all their efforts into helping those who are deeply affected. Um, more information on CircuitPython Day is forthcoming. Ideas? Uh, do you have any ideas or suggestions or events you would like to host and so on? Um, send them to circuitpythonday at adafruit.com, or you can add your event to the working calendar, which is on GitHub. All right. <clears throat> Next up, the BornHack badge. Uh, the BornHack Hacker Camp still happened this year, and they once again provided an electronic badge to all attendees. Similar to the last couple years, this badge has an ARM Cortex-M0 as the main controller, but on this badge, it's the SAMD21 from Microchip, 
uh, with four times as much flash and RAM compared to the chips on previous badges. It makes it possible to run CircuitPython, which lowers the bar for how easy it is to get started hacking on the badge. Next up, the tiny touchbook. Um, or tiny book touch, I guess, if I read it wrong. Um, Joey Castillo posts a Twitter thread about his development of the tiny book touch, a small e-paper reader with uh, screen touch sensing. In bringing it up, he wrote a demo in CircuitPython with the Adafruit Focal Touch library, and he says it just worked. This device includes Stemma ports, GPIO, and I2C. He also posts, so I'm realizing I need to redesign is a, a featherboard, either SAM, SAMD51J or ESP32-S2. Imagine using this with a LoRa wing for radio stuff or controlling a power relay. So many options, and if I can keep it simple, maybe this is a gadget that I could look into having manufactured. All right, next up is Garden Pi. Powered by Neptune.py, this is, is designed to manage, monitor, and control a series um, of sprinkler valves and a multitude of sensors for pretty much any sized irrigation, hydroponic, aquaponic project. It can be scaled from one to 32 zones for water and seven zones for power. It is built almost entirely in Python 3 and on the Raspberry Pi 4. The code is available on GitHub. Um, there is a getting started with uh, CircuitPython on compatible microcontroller boards guide that is available to get people on and up and running on CircuitPython, and that's from Woolsey Workshop. So this is basically a preview of the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter. Uh, if you'd like to submit your Python on hardware-related projects, ideas, or posts, please contact Ann B or submit a PR to the newsletter repo. Um, the draft for each week is always in this folder and you can take a look at it if you wanna get a sneak peek or if you want to um, have something added, uh, that's another way to do it. And that is community news. And yep, you can send it to Anne on Twitter at Anne underscore engineer is the other uh, good way to get things submitted. So next up is the state of CircuitPython, libraries, and Blinka. First we'll talk about the project overall, then we'll talk about the core, specifically the libraries and uh, Adafruit Blinka as well. So first up, overall. So this is, uh, this, this information includes everything from the core, the libraries, and the and, and Blinka. Um, so it just kind of covers everything all at once. So overall we had 26 pull requests merged by 12 authors. And I don't see any new names there, but uh, thank you to everyone who continues to um, participate and eight reviewers. We had 17 issues closed by 12 people and 18 opened by 15 people. One thing I will note about that is that is a lot of people. Um, often the numbers are not so close to the number um, the number opened, and um, means we've got a lot of a lot of people involved in this, and that's that's really excellent. Like it's fine that we have more one more uh, opened than we did closed, um, but we have so many people participating. It's excellent. And Jeff points out that Michael Lass is a name. 
that he doesn't recognize. I feel like I recognize them from before, but perhaps I don't. So Michael Lass is a new author, uh, or at least relatively new. So overall, we just released um, 6.0, uh, I want to say Alpha 3. I'm Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, no, I'm not wrong. Excellent. Um, so overall, we just released 6.0 Alpha 3, um, and everything is moving along. Uh, we're really close to releasing a beta, um, but we wanted to hold off and make sure that we had all of our features and APIs and, and so on um, set to go before we move into beta, but we're very close. Um, in terms of the libraries, uh, we had a recent sweep of updates because PyLint updated and that's how it goes when PyLint updates and we chose to handle it that way, which means when something like that happens, um, we have to then go through and test the libraries and make sure that they didn't add any new changes. In this case, they did. So we're still running through some of that and thank you to Jeff for going through a ton of them um, to get them uh, up to a good standing in, in pylon size. Um, and Blinka just keeps growing. Uh, thanks to Melissa for all the effort put in there. I know um, every new product we put out and every new you know demo demo that we try um, almost always just runs on Raspberry Pi without any changes and so that's really excellent and uh, thank you for that. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to Scott to talk about the core. Hello. Okay, for the core, uh, we had five pull requests merged from six different authors, uh, all names that I recognize, so thank you everybody. We had four reviewers as well. Um, we have 16 open pull requests pull requests. A couple of them are pretty old, uh, but most of them are nice and fresh, so keep up the good work uh, keeping up with pull requests. Um, Issues-wise, we had three closed issues by three people and seven opened by six people, so we're definitely uh, gaining issues there. Uh, but we'll take a look at that. Uh, for a total of 321 open issues, uh, we use milestones as a way to determine uh, priority and uh, whether we need to triage things. And we currently have four issues that are not assigned to milestone. So those are the ones that we need to take a look at and um, uh, get a handle on uh, this coming week. And I think that's it for the core. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right, next up is the libraries. Um, so this is across all of the Adafruit CircuitPython libraries. So everything that starts with Adafruit underscore CircuitPython underscore. We had 19 pull requests merged by eight authors, including Michael Lass, and seven reviewers. So thank you to everybody involved in that. Um, obviously, the more reviewers we have, the more authors we can support, and we keep seeing increased. Um, we keep seeing increased uh, activity there, and that's really great to see. Um, of those pull requests merged, one was 19 days old and everything else was five days or less. Um, we had 11 issues closed by nine people and 11 open by 11 people, so we are net even. Um, with 188 open issues, 
and we currently have 28 open pull requests. We have eight issues that are labeled good first issue, uh, which is something I think I should probably put in the weeds, um, is a discussion about our good first issues and something that is coming up. Um, there were no new libraries in the last seven days, but there was a three-page list of updated libraries, which I um, did not include in the notes because it was a lot of pages. Um, so there's a link to the report if you want to go see that full list of libraries. Um, but otherwise, uh, that's what I have for that. Um, so next up, I will turn it over to Melissa to talk about Blinka. Hello. Uh, <clears throat> so Blinka is our CircuitPython compatibility layer for Raspberry Pi and other single core computers. And this last week, we had two pull requests merged by one author and two reviewers. There were that, um, two open pull requests now. Uh, and there were three closed issues by three people and zero open by zero people, leaving a net of 25 open issues. There have been 2,629 PyPI downloads in the last week. We currently are supporting 52 boards. And that's it. Thanks, Melissa. All right, next up is Hog Reports. Hog Reports is an opportunity to call people out for being awesome. Um, it's a chance to you know let folks know that you are aware of the great things they're doing um, and just to provide some positive feedback and so hug reports is held as a round robin where i will start and then i will go down the list alphabetically and then uh, loop back to the top <clears throat> if you are lurking i will skip over you if you are text only i will read your notes when we would normally get to you in the line alphabetically um, and, uh, if I skip over you and you had updates that weren't in the notes, um, please let me know. We try to keep the notes as updated as possible, but sometimes things get missed. Um, so, uh, yeah, with that, I will get started. Um, so first and foremost, I want to say thanks to Foamy Guy for doing a massive CircuitPython library release sweep. I was expecting assistance with it, not that the entire list of 100 plus libraries would be released. So thank you so much for that. Um, I went back to it and there were two and I know why those two ha had not been released. Um, it made sense. So that was pretty much amazing. Um, thanks to Jeff for taking notes today in this meeting. Thanks to Kmatch98 for all the contributions lately, um, especially that uh, they seem to be going through a lot of stuff that they're learning new um, or just learning as they go. And it's it's been great to watch. Um, thank you to David Gloud for providing feedback on our new French translated guide and for agreeing to assist with reviewing on upcoming translated guides. Thanks to Anne for coordinating CircuitPython day planning Thanks to Dan and everyone involved in getting the latest release of CircuitPython out. And finally, thanks to Carter for helping me with my current guide update by discussing power requirements for everything involved. And that's me. So next up is Kmatch98. Good. Thanks, Ketney. So first off, thanks to Foamy Guy for being awesome. 
Uh, <laughs> that uh, particularly for all the support on display text. Hope that's wrapping up, but we'll see how things go. Uh, Scott, thank you for code reviews and uh, teaching me things along the way. Uh, third is to Dan H and Summersoft for some uh, understanding of some of the constraints with CircuitPython, particularly with a weird use case with parent uh, overriding of classes. And and uh, thanks for uh, letting me know what, what was possible and what wasn't. And I guess last, Katni, thanks for the positive feedback. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. All right, uh, next up is Maker Melissa. Hello. Uh, so I just wanted to give a hug report to Brent for your help on Adafruit.io and a group hug. Great. All right, next up is Scott. Hello. Uh, first and foremost, a hug report to Mr. Certainly for keeping uh, ban and join stats for the Discord on the moderation side. As some folks know, we turned off service, server discovery uh, because of the flood of spam that we were getting, and Mr. Certainly has been keeping track on the impact of that. So thank you, Mr. Certainly. Uh, thanks to me, Six, for getting up early to join my stream last week. They're in Singapore, so I think they had to like set an alarm for like 5 a.m. or something to watch my stream. Uh, so I appreciate that and the enthusiasm. Um, thank you to Knit and Code for the awesome work on Debug Edge. If you haven't seen this, we're working on uh, hopefully uh, adequate open spec for uh, SWD and JTAG connections on the edge of a board um, that is solder-free. Um, so if you're interested in that, let me know. Um, thank you to Dan H for the epic VLE HCI work. I'm very excited to have generic uh, HCI, BLE HCI support so that we can have more and more boards with Bluetooth support. Um, thanks to COTDP and Madit Nerd for adding more ESP32S2 boards. Uh, I showed them on my, adding a board on my stream last week and uh, some folks jumped in and made some PRs. So I'm very excited to see uh, the S2 board family grow. And um, you're welcome to drop screenshots, Jeff. Uh, and then lastly, hug report to Lady Adef for adding uh, the Kaluga to circuitpython.org. She beat me to it. Uh, so excited to see that as well. All right, excellent. Uh, next mm -hmm. up is Dan. All right, hold on, scrolling around. Um, OK, thanks to Scott for um, uh, all the work he's been doing on ESP32 S2 Wi-Fi. So he submitted a PR also, and um, I'm going to start reviewing that today. Um, thanks to Jeff for fixing various bugs and also annoyances in the build process and so forth. Whenever this comes up, he, he tends to submit something within a few hours, which fixes something or other. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks to Xiang Yi Hui or for um, working on a bunch of NRF stuff, including um, and other and other things. He, he did he's adding um, reverse HID so that you could set the lights on a keyboard and also some fixes to NRF, including um, low, even lower, more, even more lower power work. And then thanks to Jeff and um, Lucien for uh, discovering and working on fixing a makefile issue where if you put comments on the same line as a makefile variable, then the trailing white space of the value is included in the value, which is 
completely awful. Okay, <laughs> that's it. Thanks, Dan. Um, next up, David Gloud is lurking, so I will read off uh, their notes. David says to Arturo182 for the keyboard Featherwing, nice acquisition. To Dan H for all the BLE work and support. And to Maker Melissa and Anecdata for trying to help me with RGB Matrix and Featherwing Airlift. Next, I have notes from Foamy Guy. To uh, Foamy Guy's hug report for Jep to Jepler for finding and submitting PRs across many libraries for the new version of Pylint. To Cedar Grove Studios for submitting a detailed account and reproducer code for an issue they found with display text and KMatch98 for checking into it. And to KMatch98 for continuing to add enhancements to bitmap label, text scale, and line spacing mutability was added this week. Next up is Higher Effect. Uh, thanks this week to um, Dan and Scott for their hard work on the release and for uh, helping me out with some um, debugging details, um, crash uh, in the stack that they were walked, helped uh, talk about. Uh, and thanks to uh, Jaren and Anecdata for their continued testing across the STM32 and ESP32 ports uh, and putting in new issues for the bugs that they find. Uh, it's really useful. And that's it for me. Excellent. Next up is Jack Blair. Hello. I also wanted to thank Ji Yang Wei He for the work on low power on NRF. Uh, that's pretty exciting to see. Uh, I wanted to thank Scott and uh, Brian for a conversation about the underscore CanIO API that we had last week, and I think we're due to have another one this week. Uh, to Carl FK for some comments on the Can bus support issue on GitHub, because we're trying to track what are people's use cases and try and meet those. Uh, thanks to Dan for the release, and I'm sorry that one of my changes caused trouble. Uh, thanks to Anne and everyone who is working on the CircuitPython Day planning, and Katni for coming up with the idea to interview each other on CircuitPython Day. I'm looking forward to that. All right, next up is Jerry. Hi. Um, see, thanks, thanks to Dan for getting the HCI BLE uh, support into CircuitPython, into BLEIO, and uh, for all his work on, on BLE in general. Uh, looking forward to getting back to poking around at it, see what I can break. And uh, thanks to um, S. McMammy um, in, in the forums, he, uh, he uh, they, I'm not, um, posted, a, you know, had made a port of the RFM69 and RFM9X libraries over to MicroPython. And did all the heavy lifting of getting the SPI interfaces all straightened out, and had some some minor minor issues that I helped get straightened out. So they're both actually working. It's really nice to nice to see. And um, then they're uh, now making those available on GitHub as well. Um, a little more discussion about that later in the status. Excellent. That was nice. Oh shush. Sorry. <laughs> Cat attack. <laughs> all right. Um, well, that is hog reports. Next up is status updates. Um, so status updates is an opportunity to uh, discuss what you've been doing since the last meeting and what you're going to be doing until the next meeting. Um, it's just a way for all of us to sort of sync up on what we're up to. It's also an opportunity to give people tips and tricks if there are quick questions they have and you have an answer. Um, it's an excellent opportunity for that discussion. Um, 
this section is also held in a round robin, so it will go the same way. I will start, we'll go through the list. When there are notes from folks that are not participating in voice, I will read it. And um, when, uh, so when I get to you, you can read off your notes unless you are lurking or um, otherwise text only. So uh, real quick, Charles, are you um, lurking for status updates as well or? Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, that said, I will take a time code and get started. Um, <clears throat> so last week I updated the LAS3DH and SI7021 guides with the new released, newly released STEMA versions of both of those boards. Um, it involves going through a lot of uh, different sections and changing up the images, changing out the pinouts. Um, making sure the code still runs, uh, adding new wiring diagrams, and adding um, resources to the downloads page. Um, so it's relatively quick, but not super quick. Um, and actually, I created three fritzing objects. I forgot we never actually updated the SI7021 um, fritzing objects, uh, which is what we use to create the wiring diagrams in all of our guides. So uh, I had to quickly create that as well. Then I blogged three updated guides, one of which was a couple weeks ago um, that just got reviewed, and then the two I just mentioned. Started adding CircuitPython to the DRV8833 guide. It turns out we have um, in the stepper motor library a lot of CircuitPython code, but there's no guides that actually for, for stepper motors that mention CircuitPython um, that aren't PWM. So we wanted to, um, not too long ago, Carter added digital IO support to the motor, Adafruit CircuitPython motor library for stepper motors. Um, so you can just plug the drivers into any four pin, the driver board into any four pins and use those pins in the code. Um, so now we wanted to update guides with these examples. So I started to update the DRV8833 guide. Um, I reviewed a bunch of PRs and I tested the stepper code with the M Metro M4 and the Raspberry Pi for the DRV8833, uh, which I actually did before I started adding CircuitPython to the guide, but you know, whatever. This week, finished updating DRV8833 guide. Um, I actually finished that page uh, earlier today, but the plan now is to add the TB6612, which is also a stepper motor driver. Um, but the pinouts are slightly different to the same page uh, because the code is identical and then mirror that page into the TB6612 guide so I don't have to write two separate pages. Um, so that's not live yet because we're going to add a little bit more here. Um, there's a readme issue with the fingerprint library that I need to update. Um, I will be then creating a new a guide for the new OLED Featherwing. Uh, it's very similar to the previous OLED Featherwing. Um, except that the driver is slightly different, so we don't have CircuitPython support for it yet, but um, it's just twice the size, so a lot of the guide stuff will be the same as the original, um, but uh, there won't be CircuitPython yet. 
And then I need to verify that the RGB matrix guide features the NRF properly because we created an NRF feather wing for it so that you can attach it directly to an RGB matrix. Um, but we want to make sure that the guide got updated to include NRF references. Um, it's lower on the priority list, but it's something we wanted to hop in there and do at some point. Um, and then beyond that, there's plenty of other stuff. I just don't know about it yet. So that's my, oh, and planning for circuit Python day, I guess I should have included that. Um, I'm going to be running a special edition Spanish speaking show and tell, uh, at 11 AM on Wednesday, September 9th. And then, uh, Jeff and I will be doing, um, well, then we have the circuit Python weekly and then Jeff and I will be doing, um, the interview of each other. Um, then, uh, we'll be doing actual show and tell and ask an engineer. Um, so planning for all of that will also be involved in the next, uh, week, week and a half. So that's where I'm at. Next up is KMatch98. Yeah, thanks, Katni. So last week wrapped up uh, some work on bitmap label, which is a way of putting text with reducing the amount of memory to, to use. Um, but it had some limited features. So now it has more uh, uh, mutability to it where you can change things on the fly after you've generated it. So a little bit more like the label behaves. Um, in the process, I identified a bug in label itself. And now you can scale and it'll put it back in the placement that it belongs. Okay, uh, as for this coming week, uh, I started looking at one of the, the good first issues about adding an immediate refresh option for display. So I've been digging into that and uh, making some notes on the issue while of possible paths to do that. Um, and as for other things, uh, this weekend made a two-color stencil uh, that's uh, printed with spray paint based on a design my daughter made, and I made two runs, uh, 25 prints on that. So that was good to start and finish a project all in the same day. Uh, and then last, I'm looking at uh, ways of making paper, uh, but making it so you can make your own shapes. So I'm looking to 3D print uh, a mold and decal and see if I can make that work. Okay, and that's it. Interesting. Good luck with that. Um, next up is maker Melissa. Hello. So, last week I wrote a not implemented Basayo uh, one wire class for Blinka. I fixed the pins for an old Raspberry Pi Model A in Blinka. I uh, wrote a weather demo for John Park. I performed some code reviews on GitHub. I wrote an Adafruit Python shell library to help with uh, shell to Python script conversions. I updated a couple scripts to use that library. And I made a few improvements to the matrix portal library based on some feedback I got. I wrote a quick demo using the uh, matrix portal library for Phil B that looks up the current moon phase. I started working on the next demo for John Park that uh, uses Adafruit IO. Uh, I added a receive all data function to the CircuitPython Adafruit IO library. I added the Kaluga and updated a bunch of other boards on circuitpython.org with images. And I did some testing on the latest Raspberry Pi OS with a PyTFT display I had on hand. And this week, I'm going to test and wrap up some pending changes to the Matrix Portal library 
and get that released. I'm going to finish up writing that demo for JP. Um, I'm going to finish working on some more shell script conversions and finish testing out some more PRs later. And that's it. Excellent. Thanks, Melissa. Next up is Scott. Hello. So my native Wi-Fi PR is out and waiting for review. Um, that's kind of a giant one, so <laughs> good luck to Dan. Um, on top of that, I've been working on the requests changes I've made because I think that's what people will need in order to use the native Wi-Fi. Um, thanks to Katni, I got in unit tests for the request module, which should make it easier for me to tell if I'm breaking anything because basically I have to evolve the APIs for all of the uh, networking stuff. And I think the way to do it is in small incremental changes. So I'm working on that. Um, I got the Kaluga PR out. I think it might actually have been merged, but I'm behind on email. Um, it's another dev, dev board from, um, from Espressif, but it's got like a tons of, tons of bells and whistles on it instead. Um, so uh, we started carrying that in the Adafruit shop this week. So it was good to get uh, a board definition for that. Um, instead of, I, I'm trying to move my myself from this like giant drop of code mentality that I've done with a native Wi-Fi PR to lots of small stuff going forwards. Um, so I'm hoping uh, the request unit test is a, an example of that. Um, I'll do a larger drop for HTTP 1.1 with requests as well, but. Um, I'm hoping that it will be, I'll be a bit more agile uh, going forward in the next few weeks, especially as people find issues with the ESP32S2. So I expect that'll happen. Um, outside of CircuitPython, um, Jeff was talking about uh, Debug Edge, which is a, an idea that I came up with a couple other folks on Twitter uh, wanting a way to expose the low-level debugging pinouts in a way that doesn't cost anything um, on the original boards. So uh, <laughs> um, so I've been experimenting with that. Greg Davil gave a great uh, pointer to some connectors that will work really well. So if you're a board designer, uh, take a look at that. Give us feedback on, on the debug edge style. Um, and then uh, September's a day away, and I told myself that in September, I, the, for the first two weeks, I would go uh, try to be more focused on getting election calendar, electioncal.us kind of up to snuff for the the U.S. election that's in November 3rd. So there's a lot of deadlines that happen throughout uh, late September and October. So it's uh, I, I want to get SMS going and email support going and Twitter support going is my goal. With that, and then I'll I'll consider it done for this election cycle. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm trying to do my focus. Even though my brain wants to work on FPGA stuff as well, so <laughs> I can always do that later. Um, and Jeff is giving me a hug report for unit testing. I actually uh, the other heads up is if you're looking at libraries and they have tests, but they're not automatic automatically run. Um, enabling those is good too. There's a couple that I found that we had tests, but we weren't running them. I turned them on if they just worked, uh, but there was also a couple that didn't just work. So uh, always keep an eye out for that. All right. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. Next up is Dan. Okay. So as we mentioned, um, I submitted the BLEIO HCI, a pull request, and there's a small pull request that goes with a Adafruit BLE library, and um, 
Scott reviewed that and we um, discussed some changes to the API, which I've implemented. And now that's probably going to be, uh, it'll be reviewed again soon and probably will be pulled in soon. Um, I did the 600 Alpha 3 release, uh, which had a ton of stuff in it. It's been since July 23rd, I think was the last time. And so there was a lot to put in there. Um, there were some problems with the with the release process, but I cleaned some stuff up manually, and it's all fine now. Um, one of the things that we do is that we uh, we keep we have download logs of all the downloading of, of firmware from CircuitPython.org, and that's that's stored in uh, in Amazon S3. The logs are very short, like they're only there's a few seconds or a minute each. And so there are hundreds of thousands of log files um, in, a, say, in a month. And so I downloaded them all, concatenated them, and uploaded uh, the concatenated versions uh, for easier processing that I just did mostly by hand and with a little script. And we'll automate this eventually, but it was good enough for now to do it semi-manually. Um, so my on my agenda for the next uh, week or so is to review Scott's um, Wi-Fi PR that he talked about. And then after both BLEIO and Wi-Fi 1 go in, we'll probably do a beta zero release because we don't anticipate any more API changes. And with beta, we talk about things either being like API complete or feature complete or something. So we'll probably switch from alphas to betas. So maybe they'll be released this week or soon after that. Um, and um, one thing that is also on the plate, uh, but maybe not immediately, is that um, in the, before the HCI BLEIO, I did Blinka-based BLEIO which sort of works, but there are problems on certain platforms, especially um, Mac. So I want to go back and look at that and see if it's easy to fix, or if it's not easy to fix, at least document what works and what doesn't. And finally, in the longer term, but not immediately upcoming, is that Blinka um, BLEIO HCI uh, only acts as a peripheral right now. It can't do scanning and it can't act as a central. It can't access remote characteristics. So uh, an obvious thing to do is to uh, finish it off um, to do those things. We're, peripheral was good enough for now for the applications we have in mind in the near term for uh, BLE IOACI. Okay, that's it, thanks. All right, excellent. Next up, I have notes from David Gloud, uh, who is lurking. Um, tested my keyboard Featherwing. Left shift and right shift are indistinguishable, so I may need to update the firmware. Trying to make an indoor-outdoor sensor with circuit uh, Adafruit CircuitPython BLE Adafruit gave up. Um, putting a Feather NRF52840 sense into a balloon later inflated for science monitoring using web Bluetooth dashboard, summary, pressure, and humidity increase. Uh, same balloon that changes color when squeezed. And there is a Twitter link there. And then failed to do uh, Feather M4 Express RGB matrix Featherwing for Feather M4s and Feather Airwing or Featherwing Airlift because there are conflicting pins. Uh, next up, I have notes for Foamy Guy. 
um, last week, tested PR for bitmap label immutability, made a pass through my many libraries to, or through many libraries to create releases for the recent PyLint updates, added bitmap label to JSON display library or layout library, and kicked the tires a bit by creating a multifunction timer gadget with a mini TFT feather wing. Got an overhead camera set up at my desk to start working on more video content. Next week, starting work on examples and a guide for multitasking with CircuitPython, finish up the timer gadget and record some videos showing it and the code, and then starting a series of video tutorials to teach the basics of programming with a circuit playground. Excellent. Next up is Higher Effect. All right, so this past week uh, I spent on a bunch of different just bugs scattered across the ports, um, starting off with a Meowbit display bug, which ended up leading into a bunch of other little hidden bugs that were uh, in the uh, STM32 port, um, and then moving on to a variety of ESP32 and um, STM32 bugs, including a problem that we're having on the SPI uh, and SD card on the STM32 Um uh, reintroducing uh, the uh, TRNG or the, the ESP32 random module and adding the true random number generation to that. Uh, and then that also led to fixing a, a bug in the STM32's uh, version of that module. Um, uh, as Dan mentioned, uh, we fixed a make fill file comment problem um, that uh, when you when you add comments to make files, it was causing uh, build flags to be unexpectedly turned off, which would make things like display IO just inexplicably like not be working. Um, so I went and fixed that uh, both in the code and also in the documentation since uh, in the porting guide, uh, there's kind of a big template that you can copy paste when starting a port and a whole bunch of, it had a whole bunch of comments in there that would screw you up um, if you uh, if you actually did copy and paste it in. Um, I found a uh, null reference exception that pops up somewhere in ESP32 um, in uh, display IO. Uh, first popped up in kind of an unrelated PR uh, when uh, Lady Ada was testing with it. Um, and uh, I've been poking at that. That one's, that one's one of the trickier ones uh, where it's a little bit hard to track because I don't have my debugger up and running. Um, and uh, this, it's got some kind of stack corruption that may not even be related to the error. It may be happening earlier. So uh, this week, uh, I'm going to be getting GDB up and running on the ESP32 uh, and then trying to track down uh, this crash uh, since display I.O. is pretty common and we don't want it just blowing up all of a sudden. Um, and then uh, beyond that, I'm going to be working a little bit on uh, my F new F1 boards. Um, I'm going to uh, try and see if I can get to, to rotary IO on STM32 and ESP32 and kind of maybe handle those simultaneously since they're low hanging fruit. Uh, but in general, I'm just going to be kind of on on demand but debugging for the ESP32 since we've got a bunch of new stuff coming in and and uh, if new bugs pop up, uh, I want to be able to help out with those. So. That's uh, my priority list. So yeah. All right, thank you. Next up is Jeff. Hello again. Uh, last week, I mostly spent working on the low-level CAN IO module. I still haven't transmitted or received a packet, uh, but most of the hardware registers should now be set up properly. Um, and then on Friday, I switched to looking at bugs in RGB matrix. 
this week, I hopefully will be wrapping those up early in the week. Um, and then after that, I will return to CanIO. But I also want to investigate a reliability problem of SDIOIO that I encountered this weekend. Um, I have a STM32F405 Feather. I put an SD card in it and set up a little uh, slideshow. And multiple times per hour, it will crash with a read error or an IO error. And so the first thing to do is check if I swap in a different SD card, does the problem go away? And if it does, that card just goes in the trash and we don't talk about this again. Uh, but otherwise, maybe there's a bug, maybe there's a retry that needs to be added or something like that. Uh, and for fun stuff, like I was just mentioning, uh, I put together a visual demo of SD card speed improvements, which uh, I'll show on CircuitPython Day. And uh, I also got word that my Maker Diary keyboard PCB seems to have shipped, and I'm excited to put together a second, no, a third keyboard that will use CircuitPython. Um, so lots to do. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Next up is Jerry. Yeah. Hi again. Um, so spent a bunch of time helping uh, with this port to, of the RFM699X libraries over MicroPython. As I said before, the, the original poster had done gotten the SPI all working, and there were just a bunch of little details in converting over the way time works, differences between uh, CircuitPython and MicroPython. But it was really fun to, to see it working, and that opens up a whole bunch of new possibilities. So I'm looking forward to playing with that. Um, if you want the uh, original, uh, again, person has created a GitHub repository. The link is there. And then I, in discussion, I thought hopefully they're going to also include the RFM9X um, there, but there was a link to where the forum discussion was if anybody's interested in playing with those. Um, they're still preliminary, but uh, they work. And um, then um, in, along with that, the by... I had done some size reduction work on the RFM69 library so that we could incorporate it into the RFM69 M0 build. And that work is pretty much done. It's just sort of installed pending a, a, an issue that came up with the SPI baud rate. I had to lower the baud rate to get reliable communication. And a little puzzling as to why, but it seems to work. And my inclination, my thinking right now is to just go ahead and declare that done and get it merged and updated. It seems to work fine um, and, and worry about the SPI stuff later. I'll, I'll bring that up in the weeds more. Um, and so once that, once that's done, I can then update the uh, the build for the RFM M0, RFM 69 and that library can be frozen in. Um, I started this morning actually playing with the Dan's HCI BLE implementation that worked, worked nicely once I, I used the uh, the Nina firmware that that he provided in the link. It's an older build, but then, as I usually do, I tried building it myself. And if I build it locally, it doesn't work. The version 1.7.0 fails on a to communicate with the with the um, ESP32. So I'm not quite sure where the issue is there. So I filed an issue with that and trying to understand more about it. But it might take some help from Limor before we get too far with that. And then I just had a question. Um, came there was some discussion in the uh um i think it was on discord or something maybe in the in the uh, in github is spi right now broken on esp32 s2 does anyone know i believe so okay then that's, i haven't uh, actually tested it but uh I, somebody else reported an error with it so right i saw i, I saw those postings so i tried to do a quick test with an R, some of the rfm boards and i could not get them to work um so um maybe it really is broken okay yeah, I believe it. All right. 
Thanks. Uh, I think it might have to do with maybe maybe it's using DMA under the hood and we're allocating memory now on PSRAM. So one thing to try would actually be try both with the room module, which doesn't have PSRAM, and with a rover and see if it changes between the two. Okay, I can do that. All right. Cool. Thank you. Yep. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Um, and that is status updates. So the next thing we have up is in the weeds in the weeds is an opportunity for more long-form discussions bigger questions stuff that's going to cause a you know 20 minute long discussion that sort of thing um is is good for in the weeds uh, if you have any in the weeds topics please add them as soon as you figure them out um the idea is we don't want to sit around and wait to uh, find out whether there are more um, in the weeds topics so I snuck mine in before Jerry's because mine won't be that long. Um, and the thing I wanted to talk about was our good first issue on good first issues on libraries. And the reason I wanted to talk about that is um, we have a script called Adabot that does everything. Um, but one of the things that she does is uh, adds the Hacktoberfest label to all issues labeled as a good first issue. Um, for those who may or may not know, Hacktoberfest is a thing put on um, by DigitalOcean, I believe, and whoever they, whoever else they get to sponsor um, every October. And they basically, you, you register for it, and then they keep track of the PRs that you get merged during October. And as long as they're considered valid by the, um, owner of the repo that you merge it to. In other words, if it, if it just comes across as spam, they can report it. Um, then it counts towards, I believe, five PRs that you need throughout the month of October. And then you get a really cool t-shirt. Um, or this year they're doing a thing where you can also have them plant a tree for you. Um, not gonna lie, the t-shirts are really great. So, uh, you know, do do what you want, but um, the just letting you know that, that that's two very excellent um, things you have to choose between. So, what I wanted to talk about was um, getting people involved in, you know, making sure that we have issues that are tagged good first issue as we head into October. Um, if you create an issue and you know it's a good first issue. Uh, either add the label yourself or let us know. Like if you are unable to add the label, I don't know whether you need permissions to do that or not. Um, let us know so we can get that added. Um, a while ago, I would have said we should go through the um, the library infrastructure issues on uh, circuitpython.org slash contributing, but uh, most of those have actually been worked through and most of what's on there, you have to be either have permissions or um, be a member of the Adafruit org to deal with, so that is not a um, super. Uh, it's not. It's not a great resource for us to come up with good first issues at the moment because we kind of did all of them. I guess is my point. So anyway, if you file an issue or you come up with an issue to file on a library um, or on the core, and you think it's a good first issue, <clears throat> then make sure that label gets added there. And if you need to ping one of us to do it feel free, you can either find us on Discord or you can just directly ping us in the issue 
um, that you create and say, hey, you know, this is this is a good first issue. I think, um, can you please add the label, and we'll get that done. And what we want to be aware of is throughout, we we've attracted a lot of new people um, through Hacktoberfest, so there's going to be an influx of new folks who may need assistance with Git and GitHub. We have a guide for that, um, which is a little out of date, but kind of gives the gist. Um, we have our own knowledge to share, um, and they may need help with the particular issue. So if it's a library you've worked on, you know, and you have the cycles to help them out, keep that in mind as an option. Um, basically, we're, we're a very welcoming and positive community, so just keep that up. There's, there's not a lot of changes needed to be made there. Um, but be aware that we're going to bring in new folks of all levels, um, not just not just new people, but like new people new to programming, but um, also people who are, you know, very fluent programmers um, who want to take on more complicated um, issues, and they may may need assistance with that, and so on and so forth. So, all of that said, um, please be more mindful of labeling things good first issue if they are good first issues as we're heading into October. So throughout September, um, let's try and do that as much as possible. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any comments on that. The one thing I was going to say is if you're like me and you collect Discord servers, there is a Discord server for Hacktoberfest this year. Yes. Um, I have not seen anything useful on it. Uh, but there is one. Yeah, I, I think they sort of have plans for helping people out to get started and that kind of thing on there. Um, but I, they're also pushing Preptember, um, which is you then go, you know, you can scour the, you know, depths of GitHub to find projects you want to contribute to in September, so that when October hits, you can dive right in. Um, but that's. I mean, that's not something that obviously we need to do. We are we already have a project. Um, it's just that we will have people coming into our project. So yeah, the Discord server may end up being more useful as we get closer to it, um, but it's definitely an option. So that's, uh, that's all I've got there. Um, if you need any help with knowing whether an issue is a good first issue, please ping me, that kind of thing. Um, good for discussion. Uh, and the other thing is um, when you file those issues, make sure they're very clear and precise. Um, that's, it could be the best good first issue ever, but if the issue that is filed is not clear or doesn't really explain what needs to be done, um, it's not gonna help the person who is picking it up or trying to do it. So, and that really should be the case for all issues, but specifically for issues you're creating that you're intending for a good first issue, make sure that you clearly explain what is meant to be done and what the scope is. Um, and that way we give people a better experience. So, all right, totally forgot to take a time code. Um, I will take one for Jerry. <laughs> Next up, I'm gonna turn it over to Jerry for um, spy issues. Okay, thanks. Um, and this is maybe one of the issues that may maybe maybe a non-issue and may just be the way life is. But I, I I've noticed this before, um, especially on the Raspberry Pi. But now I've been playing with SPI quite a bit more um, in trying to debug things on the um, RFM boards, and I've noticed that the the SPI transactions really have these big delays, which seem unnecessary. I don't, I don't know why they're why it takes so long, and 
in in the typical way it's set up is that you wrap the SPI transaction in this you know where you as a little piece of code snippet in the in the in the in the document shows that you do a with the, with self device as as device and then you and then you make the calls to the SPI um, um, core routines and if you look at the um, Salia, the logic analyzer thing below, the bottom two traces, the, the bottom most trace is wrapping outside of that whole loop. So it's taking how long it takes from the time you start that with self uh, dot device to when it finishes the whole thing. And then the one above that is just, just wrapping the two writes. Um, so you can see that the, the actual write operations don't take very long, but there's this huge delay in getting configured and you do this every time. So if you're polling a, an SPI register, for instance, it spends an awful lot of time just sitting there waiting for this stuff. So my question is, is that unavoidable? Is it just the way life is in, 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 a, you know, in, in the way Python is set up? And is it a problem? Does anybody really care? Um, as an example, if I do this under Arduino and I look at the way Arduino handles these boards, those delays are in microseconds, not milliseconds. This is that delay is almost a millisecond long on an, I, on an M0. I think you're just seeing how slow CircuitPython is. It's, okay. Like, you, this is on an M0. So, one thing I think interesting that would be interesting for you to do is just do it on an M4. Oh, I did, and it, it's about, a, about four times as fast, yeah, which is about right, right. Yeah, it's just about right. And, and I did it on an STM32, and it's about the same as the M4. Okay. I think. So, so, yeah, so it's strictly is just the code it's executing to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just like um, it's the cost of running something with Python. Now, I don't think it's that huge of a problem because for long transactions, you it's, a, it's like a fixed cost per transaction. Right. Um, there was one, we had a bug ages ago where configure would always reconfigure and it didn't short circuit if you were configuring to the same thing. Um, that's one thing to be aware of. And then the other thing is I think like bus device has been super stable. So one thing we could look into is actually re-implementing bus device in C uh, rather mm. than Python. And I think that would make this uh, a bit quicker as well. Okay. Um, okay. So, although there's not that much Python logic in it, right? So, yeah, bus device really doesn't have much in it at all. Yeah. So yeah, but it it could impact it. Like we, it's something we could try uh, is making bus device built in because it is so core to a lot of our drivers. Okay. Um, well, good. I just wanted to make sure that this wasn't something that caught any, you know, that was a big concern. Uh, you know, it just seemed uh, seemed odd. Um, and it, it, I mean, it, you know, I think some of the, in some applications, particularly like, like, um, well, yeah, it, so it, it's not causing, I don't think it's really causing any big issues, but, um, you know, it does, it does really slow down polling, um, <laughs> for things. So you look at like, and yeah. it's like in the RFM, what you do is you're polling essentially instead of an interrupt, you're polling for a flag and it right. can, you know, that, that millisecond can be a, be a long, long time. Does but, it have does it have an interrupt line that you could pull? Yeah. That's what I am pulling. No, but, no, no, like a separate a separate wire out of the device. Oh, 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 that's an idea. Because 
pulling hmm. like Maybe. using a digital io to pull the state of a pin will be you know that's that's a really good idea i hadn't thought of that yes there is a digital io well maybe um let me look into that <laughs> the interesting thing is uh that's exactly what i do with the uh, mcp uh 23017 parallel mm -hmm. uh parallel uh io right it, it makes and it made a big difference because originally i was trying to pull it with i2c and it was yeah uh, eek. and then when i went to the separate you know, uh, it's separate automatically. There are separate, there are actually separate lines that you can put into an IO, uh, into a, a pin, pin okay. or pin. No, and I, uh, you can do that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I will look into that. There are some, there are lines that come out and they are configurable as to how they interrupt. So that, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, one other question I, I had quickly while I had this shot up there mm -hmm. on the up three lines, you're seeing, um, Miso and Mosey, and you can see this little delay. And I think this is the same example. But one thing I noticed is that if you're in the which code, delay? You, which delay? Well, in between, there's a there's a little blast of writes, and then there's a little gap, and then it finishes off with a little more writes at the end. Yep. Uh, and that in that top trace, you see there's a, a very short little activity, and then a broader one, and then yep. a gap, and then a, then another small activity. Right. And what that is is I'm writing a a five byte. Um, message um, mm -hmm. out to a FIFO. And what it does is it writes the first four bytes and then it takes a little break. Um, and then it writes the other, the last two. Um, yeah. Mm. So it must be a six byte message. And I'm just, I, I know that if you look in the code, there's a break point. If there's more than 16, it uses DMA. Right. For 16 bytes. If it's less than 16, it doesn't use DMA. So mm -hmm. is that little gap, what happens if the clock stops and, it, you know, it's just sort of, takes a little break in transmitting. It's in the middle of the transmit of the transfer, but it just sort of takes a little break. Is that you, any idea why that happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume that it's uh, the time it takes for the like code to read it. Oh, it has to go back and read another word. Right. So like oh. you write a word, yeah. you're in a busy loop, but that busy loop is also probably running the background tasks and so, yeah, so at this time i mean i've just done a i've just done a yeah it's in the spi transfer so I, yeah i've turned every yeah all i've done is said go transfer you know these six bytes and right. that, yeah okay so it's probably the reason the reason that there is that gap is that it's assumed that like there's a cost there's a cost to um starting the dma up right because you right, have to sure. do yeah yeah there's like copy like bookkeeping sorts of things that you have to do to do it so there that's why there's a, a check of like at some point it's not worth it so right i just i just noticed this the other day that that gap was even there i guess i should try writing you know six bytes seven bytes eight bytes i assume there'd be a gap every four bytes be my guess that, that, that would be my bytes. assumption and until right. you get to dma but even dma right. dma is still best effort right because you're still sharing a memory bus okay um, well, this, I, I think so for now, this all looks normal and I will just, I'm going to sort of back burner this problem <laughs> or okay. ignore it. Uh, I'll work on, on changing the code to use the interrupts as a, as a next big improvement. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, I'll go ahead now and try and get everything released and updated and we can move on. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of 
surprised that that last burst is not the read into. Right? Like, I guess you're writing one thing and then you're reading a bunch. Um. Yeah. In this case, yeah, you're right. You do a write to the the first, you do a write to write. You write the register you want to read from. Yep. And then you read read all the rest. So I think that right. first little blip is the write, and then the rest are all reads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it but it's reading it's reading. No, it, actually, this is going the other way. So this is actually this this example. I'm sorry, it may have been a slightly different example. Was okay. Was a was a was a uh, was a write. Uh, I was writing a, a message out. Okay, because so, I would expect I would expect a gap. On the read into it, on the read into it, it doesn't do this. You're right. It, it does. It hmm. does all of them uh, without a break. Hmm. It 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 cap it, uh, when you read it. It seems to capture them all much more quickly. But yeah. but there there, yeah. And it might it might be some well I don't know could be something in the radio side too where it's where when you're writing to the FIFO it's different than reading from it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Jeff asked a question. Oh, sorry. I'm trying to understand it. So I was just looking at the code. Um, so the way it checks whether the registers of the CIRCOM are unchanged is with this block of code. And I had two questions about that. And one is, is querying the hardware registers, like with HRI, CIRCOM, SPI, get control A, C, P, H, A, bit, is that just as fast as like reading it out of the SPI structure that we keep? Is reading a hardware register as fast as reading from RAM? Or should we track those flags ourselves? And then the second one, second thing was I noticed that the SPI baud rate to baud rate register value is using floating point math. And so mm -hmm. that might be slow, particularly on uh, the 21s without floating point support. Right. I think it's pretty fast to read those registers. So, and those, and the HRI routines are all, they tend to be in line code. There are only a few instructions each. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I guess you could um, try and check just whether that is effective. If you had a debugger, you could check whether you reach the block of code after that return true a lot or just once when you're setting up your program. One thing we could do is we could move the the value computation after the first three checks. But I guess that doesn't help you. That doesn't help in the common case, in the case you hope is common, where it's always the same. Right, uh, right. We could move the computation of it to the to where we know we need to set it. So store the baud, compare the baud to the configured baud, and then only if it's different do you compute the register value. If that turned out to be the slow part, and I I don't know. Yeah. And it's floating point math, but it's just a it's just one division and you know some other it's trying to round it to the correct value. And that's down in the peripheral uh, submodule if you're looking for it. Right? It seems so unlikely. There's so much other code going on to execute mm -hmm. the actual Python code. I think it's kind of in the noise. I think you're probably right. Because uh, there's there's so much else going in on inside the virtual machine and other things getting called yeah. just um uh, one... the raspberry pi this is that is actually is is somewhat of a problem I mean, these delays can be several milliseconds <laughs> well that's uh, because it's not real time <laughs> right yeah so there there we ran into this it's, it's but 
decided is, that, was not, that was not a problem worth tackling. <laughs> is your line labeled enable? That's the chip select line, right? The yes. Okay, so that's not even. Um, yes, it takes a long uh, time to get to chip select. <laughs> right. The bus device uh, sets the chip select value to false after it sets the after it configures the spy bus. So. Um, the part that I was talking about of reconfiguring it uh, would come before that falling edge, not right. um, not after it. Right. Um, I mean, I think maybe it makes sense, yes, to cache the computation of the board register. I don't know um, if it'll make a difference or not. I mean, considering that it's about four times faster on on the SAMV51, which has floating point, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, like, it would be it would be interesting if you just commented out the actual SPI operations and just saw how it took to go in and out of what would have been an SPI operation, That's that will tell you how much overhead there is for that. From the Python that comes from yeah the yeah you just you write a bus device that doesn't actually do anything okay and then see how long it takes to call that so mm -hmm. that that would that would be an easy test to just to do everything but the actual SPI operation and then see how much how how much overhead is there in in when you end up calling bus SPI something or other. The bus so. I.O. Uh, bus, bus does the initialization of SPI, right? the SPI bus. And once you've got, once you got that number, couldn't you put it away, if, if, put it away for, for uh... Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I think what I'm saying is that the C code that's called for each, S, for the SPI reads or writes, like just skip that and see how much the overhead of everything else is. Right. In the example, that would be. There's, that would there's be a lot of stuff going on there. There's DNIT. You're checking for DNIT, and there's checking for the locks, and there's there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's probably all the Python code, and I think, but that's an easy. You you can instead of speculating, that's an easy thing. You can just subtract all that out, okay? Or you can figure out okay what what the overhead of the Python is, and, and before you end up calling the bus the, the SPI actual. Native SPI. Fair, yeah, fair enough. I think that's all good stuff to do before we start tearing in the whole system. Yeah, apart. yeah, but yeah. I, but I also think that at, at this point too, I, it's pretty clear this is it's not a problem in the in the RFM driver. <laughs> we'll move on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think right. And if you have a flag that says, "Oh, there's," if there's a pin that says there's data, you don't have to keep querying the module over and over. So yeah. I would which like is better to do, do so. Yeah, I have found that, and the reason I had to start adjusting the baud rates is that there are some really funny little things that happen, um, and and I cannot get a good picture of it. That if I go too fast, if I go up to back up to five megahertz, occasionally somewhere some values, you know, some 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 MSBs get shifted around, you know, they get lost or things, but it's not it's not as clear as I as I'd hoped it would be. I, in other words, when I cap I captured the transaction and captured it occurring, but I can't see it on the uh, on the Salier. I, I it didn't show me. 
um, it wasn't, I, I didn't understand what I was seeing. So there's, there's a lot more to play with in understanding that. But for now, I found the two megahertz was a good good blend. If I if I go down to one megahertz, it causes problems on the on 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 the other side. If I go to five, it 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 seems to be too fat. You know, causes some occasional problems, but two seems to be a sweet spot. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there is there is one optimization we could play with that Damien mentioned to me. But basically, because we're on Pi Stack now, there is another option that I don't remember what it's called, but it basically right now when you call a Python function, it still kind of like calls the VM again and creates a stack frame on the C stack, but you don't actually need to do that if you have a separate Python stack anymore. Um, and so I think there's a separate config to basically say like, don't, don't use the C stack when calling another Python function um, because it can just use the Pi stack on its own. So that might actually speed up the VM, like on the whole as well. Um, but I think Damon may have mentioned that it might take more code space. I don't know. It's, <laughs> no free lunch. It's a lead. Yeah. Where, where, where would that? Where would I look for that? In, uh, in, in where is that configuration set? Yeah, it's you know, it's it's some MicroPython, MicroPy underscore something. Okay. Um, probably like uh, related to changes with PyStack. I I don't remember its name. I could probably look and maybe see it, but um, okay, that's fine. It's something to, something to yeah. It was like time. something on my radar, but you know, right. performance is not the only thing we care about. Yeah, uh, MicroPy stackless. Avoid using C stack when making Python function calls. Right. C stack still may be used if there's no free heap, so we could turn that on. Yeah. MicroPy stackless strict. I'm looking at mpconfig.h and pi mpconfig.h. Yeah, that sounds suspect. Yeah. Okay. Um, which a, I think, I, <laughs> yeah. And I think it becomes more and more important as we get multiple memory hierarchies, especially yeah. on the S2. Um, keeping stuff in the onboard RAM is going to be better than the, the PS RAM. All right. Well, thanks. This is. Helps. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that it's slow. <laughs> All right. I think with that we're going to wrap up. <clears throat> this has been the Circuit Python Weekly for August thirty first, twenty twenty. Thank you to everyone who participated, either in the chat or in uh, by adding notes uh, for us to read off. If you want to support Adafruit and CircuitPython, and those of us that work on CircuitPython, considering purchasing stuff from the Adafruit shop at adafruit.com. The video of this meeting will be released on YouTube at youtube.com slash Adafruit, and the podcast will be available on major podcast services. Um, it will also be featured in the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter, so visit adafruitdaily.com to subscribe to that. The next meeting has been moved. It will be held on September 9th, uh, 2020 at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. So the same time we hold it on Mondays, but it will be on Wednesday. Uh, this meeting is held on the Adafruit Discord, which you can join at any time by going to adafru.it slash discord. Uh, to be notified about meeting changes uh, or any changes to the time or day, you can ask to be added to the CircuitPythonistas role on Discord, 
as well if you want to participate uh, in the meeting in actually chat um, to to speak. Uh, you need to be in the Circuit Pythonista's role for that as well. So if you want to join us and you want to be able to uh, talk through your notes, uh, let us know and we'll add you to that role. And with that, we hope to see you all next week on Wednesday. And I want to say thanks to everybody again for participating and hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks again for a wonderful meeting.